0: Welcome to Team Luke Hope for Minds Podcast. On this show, our mission is to help families just like yours. We'll bring you inspiring stories from brain injury survivors, advice from health professionals, and much more to help
1: make the recovery journey a little easier. If you or anyone you know has suffered from a brain injury, this show is for you. Uh, Hey, everyone. I'm Jared Samuels, and welcome to another episode of the Team Luke Hope for Minds Podcast. Today on the show, I'm talking with a registered dietitian, Laura Winter, who works for Functional Formulary. So welcome.
0: Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to do this.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so my first question is like, what's your story? What got you interested in this area in health and eventually becoming a dietitian?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so about six years ago, my curiosity kind of got the best of me. Um, I was feeling stagnant working in my then profession at that time as an account manager for a technology company um, when I began having conversations with my then personal trainer who was in school pursuing the path of a registered dietitian. Um, So as my interest in nutrition peaked, I noticed that I was spending a lot of time outside of work. Um, digging through nutrition information on the web, which left me more confused than ever um, because I could not really discern what was fact and what was fiction. So I ultimately decided that I needed a big change towards a career that was more meaningful and where I could make a larger impact that aligned with some of my passions, my values, and where I could spend uh, more of my time directing my energy towards that pursuit. So.
1: And what is that process like? Uh, what's involved in becoming a registered dietitian?
0: Yeah, so it, it's it's a pretty involved process. So most people do not realize that the path towards becoming a RD, I say RD for short instead of just saying registered dietitian, is fairly involved. Um, so in order to work as a registered dietitian, individuals must obtain a bachelor's degree at a school that's accredited by the commission on dietetic registration. So I returned back to my alma mater, which was UT, um, to complete my second bachelor's before deciding that graduate school was in order. Um, so while I earned my master's in nutrition and metabolism at the University of Texas Medical Branch, um, I completed over 1,200 hours in clinical supervised practice. And those supervised practice hours are a requirement for dietitians in order to sit for their board exams. So I rotated in various clinical settings, community, research, and food service management areas. Um, so after you know, I completed that, I sat for my board exams and of course passed. Um, in the state of Texas, you have to be licensed as well in order to be a dietician here. So um, part of my supervised practice and research was done at one of our nation's leading inpatient neuro rehab hospitals. And this is where I had the great fortune of working with the neuro uh, population and got familiar with brain injury.
1: Mm. What's involved in, um, I'm just curious, involved in observation hours for dietitians. You just like observe someone.
0: Yeah. So I kind of explain it as being the equivalent, kind of an equivalent of how physicians, doctors go to medical school for their training, right? And then they have to go through their residency. So it kind of just, and in, in for general term, you know, just to try to make it uh, understandable to the layman person, I always say it's kind of like the equivalent of residency, but not nearly as long. So the commission on dietetic registration requires a minimum of 1,200 hours, uh, and you usually have to fulfill a certain amount of hours within clinical areas, within uh, food service, within research, so on and so forth.
1: Mm. So, cool. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, when it comes to brain injuries, what's your exposure to brain injury patients?
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, as I worked in the neuro, hosp- neuro rehab hospital, uh, I I did research for them and got hired on afterwards, which was awesome. So while I was there, I did research and published, uh, eventually, the research I did on spinal cord injury. So that was my first exposure to, um, towards the neuro rehab area. Um, But as I started on the inpatient side, covering the floors as one of two clinical dietitians, um, my role involved providing what we call medical nutrition therapy, um, in addition to uh, clinical nutrition support. And that was for individuals that had brain injuries, um, spinal cord injuries, stroke patients, and a variety of other neurological conditions. Um, So I often spent days, weeks, months with these families um, and got pretty intimately familiar with what life was like for them, um, which I loved because in most clinical settings and the inpatient side, like in the ICU, patients are usually flying through for a couple of days, right? Mm -hmm. So working on the inpatient side where they were there for a period of time, I, I got familiar and I got to hear a lot of. their their stories, and also I began noticing some trends, which we'll talk about. Um, But in providing clinical nutrition support for individuals, um, what that means is, so for those individuals who lose the ability to eat orally and to sustain their nutrition needs by eating through their mouth, they have to have a feeding tube place, oftentimes. So I got really familiar with what that was like, um, and uh, yeah. So hopefully that kind of helps give you some insight into how I, you know, had experience with brain injury.
1: Uh, Are you only working with patients who um, can't feed themselves like me in a feeding tube or are you working with other brain patients as well?
0: It was a variety. Yeah. So there were definitely oral eaters. I mean, part of the therapies that these patients were in rehab for was speech therapy and feeding therapy occupational therapy, physical therapy, right? All, all of the therapies. Um, so for those that were oral eaters, you know, we the medical nutrition therapy piece would be, for example, if they were like a diabetic patient, we needed to make sure that we counseled them on what, you know, what a uh, meal would look like for a diabetic patient and talk about, talk about that. Or if it was a heart failure patient, for example. Um, but... Uh, when it comes to the internal side, it's a little it's a little different. So yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some of the um like the roadmap signs that one of your patients or one of the people you're working with um have like a formula?
0: mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So once someone you know sustains a brain injury or any any neurological problem or a critically ill patient, usually there's a number of biochemical processes that are kind of out of whack um, and they're not in homeostasis, in a, you know, they're not in homeostasis. So in um, feeding patients with these formulas, um, we, you know, it could be, it could be multiple things that were contributing to the symptoms, but oftentimes some of the roadmap indicators that we would see would be like loose stools, diarrhea, constipation, um, weight loss, uh, which weight loss isn't uncommon for some patients that are bedridden. Um, because they're not mobilizing and using their muscles, so they are going to atrophy. But we do know through some additional clinical research at this point in time um, that the type of formula that is used in internal feeding can definitely affect weight weight measures. So um, retching, gastrointestinal reflux disease, um, vomiting, those are all other roadmap signs. Um, In addition to oral aversion, so like I said, speech therapists are always working with these patients to try to get them to eat more by mouth, right? If it's safe to do so, Um, because the goal is to not, if if possible, to have the patient weaned off of their tube so that they can enjoy, you know, eating by mouth, if that's at all possible. Um, So those are some of the roadmap signs. And usually, medications are given to help manage some of those symptoms, or the dieticians or physicians would want us to switch to a different formula option for those for those enteral feeding patients to something that was a more broken down, what we call a peptide-based formula that helps uh, ease the digestive process. Um, but. Uh, in regards to what is in the conventional integral products is largely a lot of, like, refined sugars. Um, they're largely, you know, uh, corn syrup derived products that have chemical emulsifiers, um, preservatives in them, and some heavily processed seed oils and other things, which is the, are the very things that we recognize promote disease in the first place right for an oral and for someone that's eating a diet by mouth so you know over the last four decades within the clinical nutrition world we've seen an increased reliance on that type of nutrition for two fed patients um so it seemed to me you know whole food diets for our for our two patients lost out to the feeding bags of concentrated syrups and um you know, based on the conventional approach, it just seemed that those who required enterol didn't need a diet that was rich in healthy nutrients and uh, fiber and fruits and vegetables. Um, so while I was working in neuro rehab, the number of families that were demanding better quality nutrition as the dietitian, in my experience, was unprecedented. Um, I really wasn't prepared. To face that coming out of school because we didn't even talk about it in school, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, in school, we talked about you know how to calculate the rates of a feed, what type of administration methods, you know, but we never really looked at the quality of the ingredients behind the product. So it wasn't until these families were were coming to me and were like, "Hey, would you feed this to your loved one, or if this were you, would you find this acceptable?" And I couldn't look them in the eyes to tell them that like, I thought it was best, you know, that like I would want something that was more nourishing for them. So these families actually were raising my awareness of a systemic flaw um, in our healthcare system. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any option on our hospital contract. And usually most hospitals have vendor contacts in place. And I didn't have a real whole blended option to provide for them. Um, so I realized there was great potential in supporting and advocating for this fragile population who I feel like has been marginalized and not, has not gotten the attention that they receive when it comes to looking for better quality nutrition. Um, so anyways, I just believe the time has come for those that are dependent on tubes for getting their nutrition, that they have the same options available to them as those who get to eat foods by mouth.
1: Um, so I'm just curious because I actually personally have a lot of food allergies. Uh, yeah. One, celiac disease, and one, two like cheaper vegetable oils, I can get hives. Yep. Is it are those formulas that way because they're cheaper?
0: So, so the commercial formula has kind of infiltrated the market four to five decades ago, largely alongside the increase in infant formula that came out to the market at. A point in time it was told that those were better than breast milk for babies which we know this day is not true so just like in our food supply system how we've seen the changes um the same changes have occurred in the clinical nutrition world as well um so yeah it's likely I mean there's also reasons for it being you know a certain number of macronutrients um you know we can guarantee that the synthetic vitamin and minerals were in there and it was looked at as also being more sterile um you know for fear of like bacterial contamination but prior to the commercial formulas coming onto the market hospitals were blending foods in their kitchens that's what was done hmm. um so there's been a reemergence of blended formulas coming back into the market now um and i have the fortune of working for one of those companies so
1: yeah so yeah. how do you find out about the company you work for now
0: Um, Yeah, so my patient families, (laughs) Um, um, one of my patients got on Liquid Hope, which was our first product that came to market. So we have two, one that's called Liquid Hope, and one that's called Nourish. Um, Nourish is kind of targeted more towards pediatric patients, but they can be used across both um, adults and pediatrics, Um, but I had a patient that was on Liquid Hope, so that got me familiar. Um, these families are often a part of communities such as Team Loop Hope for Minds, right? Support groups because they're trying to find ways to share resources and productively move forward in a healthcare system that is not always meeting their needs, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of talk out there in these community groups about what options there are, and I wasn't aware of this formula until like I said, my patient family brought it in. So you know, I got familiar with it and um, I reached out to the CEO, the founder of it, at Functional Formularies, and just told her, like, you know, what I was seeing and that what I thought she was doing was so critically important. Um, and asked if there was anything that I could do to help her in her business. So um, I have the great fortune now of working for them and helping advocate for uh, patients and helping educate healthcare. Providers, dietitians. Um, I go around to different suppliers and I have conversations that uh help educate on our formulas, but also talking about the research behind them too, um, and letting them know this isn't some fringe medicine kind of thing where it's like, oh, blended foods. It's like, no, this is this matters. This is a fundamental basic need of someone's um overall well-being, and especially for those that are medically compromised. We each we should not be providing the liquid equivalent of a candy bar to these patients at all. Um, So our founder, Robin, actually, her father suffered a traumatic brain injury. And when he was in the hospital, he was in a coma, um, he was on a feeding tube, and Robin uh, had professional experience as a chef um, with experience in organic whole foods. And so she decided to start blending in the hospital um, on her own. Because uh, she was like, I'm not going to put the, the formula that you guys want to provide into the into my father's too. So she did. Um, she was very meticulous about the ingredients that she chose in the formula. Um, and she wanted to provide foods that had different types of fiber, that had different phytonutrients, that supported the body's immune system. Um, and with time, her father being on that formula, he went from taking 17 medications to taking two. He uh, became more lucid. He kind of came out of, you know, his state. He improved so much that the doctors called Robin, and they they told her, you know, it's a miracle what you've done for your father. And she was like, I don't look at it as a miracle. I look at it as, like, I'm just providing food, right? (laughs) Like, this is pretty basic. Now, as a company, we can't claim that food has a medicinal value according to the FDA but we can say that good quality nutrition is better for you regardless of whether you can feed yourself or whether you need assistance. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's so much more than food providing calories, vitamins, and minerals. Um, have you ever heard of something called the microbiome before ring a bell?
1: Yeah. It's like uh, the bacteria in your gut, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's kind of been deemed the forgotten organ, if you will, but in recent years, within the last decade or two, it's definitely getting more and more attention. Um, so yeah, the microbiome is home to trillions of different bacteria and microorganisms. Um, and I mean, I think it weighs about like four to five pounds. I mean, it's, it's a lot of who we are. And it's even arguable that the DNA, uh, they outnumber our own genomes, 130 to one that they're just as influential on our health outcomes as, you know, every bit of DNA that we're given from our parents. Um, so more and more research is supporting that position.
1: Yeah. And, um, how can, uh, so like, I think I, if I remember reading this about the microbiome and its effect on like your brain health Mm -hmm. food and stuff like that, how, can you expand on how the alterations in that can influence health outcomes specifically for traumatic Yeah, cancer?
0: yeah, definitely. So um, our gut bacteria fulfill a number of physiological functions that have a direct impact on our health. Um, from helping digest certain foods to producing different vitamins um, to helping combat aggressions from foreign microorganisms that maybe you breathe or ingest. Um, and they, your gut microbes also help to maintain your gut integrity, the intestinal mucosa, which is the barrier between your GI system and the rest of your body is supposed to be closed off except for the nutrients that pass through, you know, the GI tract to go, to, you know, to the liver, wherever else they go for processing. But, um, when it comes to bacterial translocation, this can be problematic, especially if the gut microbiome has a shift towards Um, the kinds of species that are more pathogenic and harmful. So a healthy and balanced gut microbiome is key to ensuring proper digestive functioning. Um, Clinical research that has compared our formula, Liquid Hope, versus some of these conventional, standard, refined sugar products um, have shown that with real blenderized foods such as Liquid Hope that there's been statistically significant lower disease activity indices. There's been lower levels of inflammation. There have been greater amounts of commensal, beneficial gut microbes produced and less pathogenic harmful bacteria in the gut. Um, They've also found higher concentrations of anti-inflammatory metabolites as well, produced by these gut bacteria. So this is important, especially after a brain injury. Um, You know, the insult, wherever it's happened in the brain, the mitochondria in the brain area where where it was affected often, um, you know, are affected by that as well. So that, uh, you know, leads to oxidative stress. um, And having a, a diet pattern that is very rich in, Uh, phytonutrients and fruits and vegetables um, that provide the antioxidants to combat the free radicals is important in addition to good healthy fats such as omega-3s specifically Mm -hmm. DHA and EPA um, because those help with um, the cell function as well so um, yeah just the oxidative damage that can occur from a brain injury, over time, um, we inhale oxygen to breathe, but it can be toxic, um, and the mitochondria, with, with the damage, um, can lead to a different cascade of problems down the line, um, you know, such as development of seizures and sleep disruption, fatigue, irritability, behavior problems, um, so, yeah, nutrition is important. <laughs>
1: Um so maybe when we wave a little bit from the the more technical side, we could talk about the more human side. How do you talk to families that have like a child with a brain injury?
0: Yeah. So I always try to level with families just peer-to-peer, you know. I mean, I have never been through anything like that personally and I cannot imagine. So I just I try, you know, to have as much compassion as possible and to be empathetic with them. Um, I think an ongoing dialogue um, that helps to establish and sustain like effective working relationships with trust at its core is so important Um, and making sure there's definitely like the interpersonal warmth and rootedness in those relationships because these families are going through a lot. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Now for you, what's the most rewarding part of the job?
0: So... The fact that I get to advocate and be a resource for patient and patients and their families um, is really the most rewarding part. So when I went back to school, I could have never dreamed I would have landed in a role like I'm in right now. I had no idea. I, you know, the brain injured population wasn't even on my radar, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but working in the rehab setting really opened my eyes um, to, to some of the systemic healthcare, um, uh, how do I say this? Issues that individuals face. So I sought out a path to help shift the status quo. Um, so I'm thrilled that I have the opportunity to educate providers. Um, the blended, uh, enteral nutrition part of the market right now is definitely growing. There's a huge renaissance and demand for this sort of thing. So to be a part of something that I know is ethically correct and right and is what's best for the patient feels very, very good. Um, so I just, I want to move mountains and I want to see things happen on a much grander scale. Of course, I care about those direct patient to patient, you know, interactions and I definitely want the best for these families. Um, but helping improve reimbursement from an insurance perspective and also getting hospitals to contract and to have a blended option on their formularies. I think is really important so that they can accommodate these patient families that have the request. Um, But Not only that, that can look at it from a clinical perspective and see that there's numerous health outcomes associated with the quality of nutrition that we're providing them.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. so there's a final question that we kind of ask everyone and it's, what are your top three recommendations for like either a patient that's had a brain injury or that's going through a brain injury or their families?
0: So I think it's important to for these families to realize how stressful of a situation it is. Um, oftentimes, at least in the the environment that I worked in, there's so much attention going towards the patient, right? Because they're in therapy, and that that makes sense. But the families are going through a lot themselves. Um, so you know, I think it's really important for them to seek support services in whatever capacity that might be, whether you know, if it's if they're in the home, getting home assistance or respite care, um, attending brain injury support groups like Team Luke,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, doing ongoing short-term or long-term therapy helps, you know, counseling for these caregivers I think is really important because the stress that families endure as a result of someone that faces a brain injury, it just, it can shift the foundation of, of the family. Um, and you know burnout I think is very common for some of these caretakers so I think it's important for them to prioritize also taking care of themselves. Um, In addition to that uh, I think that when when the families and the patients are having their doc their doctor visits I think it's important for them to prepare questions ahead of time so that when they go in, they have that list of important concerns and problems. Um, It's important for these patient families to also use assertive communication with physicians and their providers, Um, because oftentimes, I mean, these families are the expert of their loved one because they're spending all this time with them to see how everything plays out. I mean, yes, it's important to lean on the medical professionals themselves and to, you know, we need all the allies in this to care for the patient, um, but I think presenting what they need, you know, what their concerns are and how the doctor and the team of medical professionals can help them is, is, is important. Um, I don't know if I mentioned already but persistence is so important because, you know, sometimes you got to be the squeaky wheel before you're going to be heard, and feel like you want something done. Um, so if they have any research to take with them to support their requests for certain items or if they've heard something and they want to know more about it, having all of that information that they can take with them to those appointments, I think is very beneficial. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Great.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on. This a lot of yeah. good.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to to do this. It's my first podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website, org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. See y'all next time.